lots and lots of spoilers. Hello, Larry and BJ and the Bear will not be seen tonight so that we can bring you the following special presentation. Another episode in the I Made for TV Love You series here at Max Mike Movies. You see, when a production company and a TV show love each other very, very much, (laughs) sometimes you get a movie made. This week's installment deals with 2000's Charlie's Angels, based on the 70s TV show that made a lot of us young men in in the 70s feel funny in our special places. (laughs) Known for its cast of three attractive and replaceable female leads... (laughs) As well as assignments that required said leads to wear slinky evening wear or swimsuits because of the plot. It was vital. (laughs) This show inspired several movies, at least one reboot, action figures, t-shirts, lunchboxes, and beach towels. I didn't make any of those up. Hey, did your action figure blow up? (laughs) (laughs) It should have. Only from this movie. It also gave rise to... (laughs) Rise to... (laughs) The term Jiggle TV. Does this movie do the same? Is this just an excuse to stare at attractive women in tight clothing? Or do we get an actual solid action thriller out of this? That's why we're all here. I'm your host, Max Levine, played tonight by a faceless phone speaker mounted in the mouth of the severed head of Bumpy the Wonder Pony. Hey! And over there is your other host wearing his famous red one-piece bathing suit that he got from Farrah Fawcett when he took this job from her, is Mike Luce. Good morning, Angel. Uh, good morning, Maxie. <laughs> I mean, good morning, Maxie. Blink, blink, Much better. Flutter, flutter. <laughs> jiggle, jiggle. Can we go to danger now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a but, police uh, detective. <laughs> Freeze! This is a bust. <laughs> I'll say, wink. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting right into it with both feet now. <laughs> you picked it. Gee, now I know why. <laughs> uh, yep, yep, yep. Hey, this movie helped me get through adolescence. Um, <laughs> or stay in it. Yeah, or stay there. Yeah. <laughs> But before we get more into the um, into the movie itself, we have last week's poll question to deal with. And uh, boy, this question, I got to say, we not only got a number of responses, we got a lot of really voluble and erudite responses. And I'd like to personally ask our listeners to knock it off. No. You are not supposed to be more insightful or clever than we are. So quit it. Oh, yeah, that. Stop saying smart things. <laughs> no, I was surprised too. Like yeah, I was worried that this is going to be one of those questions where it was like, yes, no, music good, music bad, music no, smash. Pe- people real, real put some real thought into this, you know, which for our show is unusual because we don't. <laughs> but he lies. I want to thank you, and I do want to apologize. Some of them, I just for time, I've had to edit, and if I left anybody out, I am sorry. These were all really friggin' good. Yeah, thank you so much. I, yeah, I mean, you'd expect at least one dud, nothing. No. So, quit it. Um, <laughs> but our question was, how much does matter... How much does matter? Good <laughs> Lord. How much does matter weigh? <laughs> what is matter? Never mind. What is mine? Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's going to be one of those shows. You started it. <laughs> I started it, and I'm going to drag it down with me. All right, I'm How sorry. The question... Yes. How much does music matter in the movies you watch? How much does it dictate your emotional reaction? And we're talking about the score, not like a jukebox song list. Let's dive in. Matthew Reisman tells us, It's critical in a suspense movie or drama for emotional underpinning, but not really that important in a comedy. I think it's interesting in an action movie. When done right, it helps the sequences flow and gives a kind of direction to what could otherwise be chaotic movement. Good point. Yeah. Geneva Brunetti says, emotional reactions are based on one's own experiences. True. To ensure a more consistent collective experience, a filmmaker must manipulate the viewer's senses to drive the point that they want to make and make it a non-negotiable interpretation, if that's what they want, of course. There's rules and physics to this, just like color theory. This is what I mean about sounding smarter than us. (laughs) A duck would sound smarter than us. (laughs) 
Well, it'd have to be a fairly clever duck. <laughs> Jamie Kleinert writes, the score is another character. I've heard that, that, that phrase. That's very cool. Or it should be. The score should, should be just another tool in the director's and producer's back pocket. Foreshadowing, characterization, and character growth, plot advancement, it's all possible to put into the music. Some composers do really well at this, and others really struggle. That's certainly true. It's not simply window dressing and not simply background. It has to interact with the audience and the film. Wow. Well, Jamie, to be fair, is a music teacher. That, oh, okay. Yeah, hers I had to edit down a little, because otherwise, honestly, it could have, th- these answers could have been a whole show. Yeah. But anyway, I wonder, you know, uh, I wonder if we, something we should do is maybe on this episode, uh, because they're so long, maybe we should take the full text and put it on the website. See if, if that's something that's possible. Okay. Yeah, sure. I can put it into a file. I'll put a text and I'll put a link in it uh, yeah. onto the episode entry. That's a good idea. But they still belong entirely to MaximumWikeMovies.com. <laughs> Patent pending. Trademark. By grace. <laughs> We're Beatrice. Uh Valerie, I'm not Mike's sister at all, Coons writes, I think it depends on the movie. Music used to tell the viewer how to feel. Everyone knows consciously or unconsciously to tense up when you hear the da-da-da-da in Jaws. Hitchcock purposely made the score extremely sparse for Psycho so that it helped to shock when it did come in. A damn pizzicato violin. Bunch of uh, guinea pigs. Did you know that? It's actually true. (laughs) Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, uh, how much more thrilling is a battle scene when it's prefaced by a surge of violins and timpani, or the Carmina Barona, as so often done? <laughs> uh, all that being said, there have been times when the music has been too sticky or has felt like it's taken over the emotional feel of the scene. Mm, good point. Steve Kellner, I ag- agrees with Val. Of course, it depends. Some movies use it as an additional component to create a scene, like Star Wars, when Darth Vader arrives with his own theme. It's clearly defining his character. Notably in the prequel, John Williams came up with a love-theme version of the same music. The yeah. haunting love theme of, of, a, of The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Mm. Uh, likewise, the Imperial March music helps, de- helps describe the Imperial culture. It's military-based and has overtones of German wartime music. Hmm. It's shaping our perception of the scene. At other times, it underlines and elevates the emotion of the scene. If overdone, it overrides the emotion of the scene and tells you, feel this, damn it! That's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, but done right, it reflects the emotion rather than ordering it. Hmm. Nick Gasparoni says, To me, the score can elevate a movie from good to great, and the best ones can do it without you even noticing. Hmm. The score is what allows viewers to have that highly sought-after, full, immersive experience. Very nice. Mentions John Williams, Michael Giacchino, and Trent Reznor slash Atticus Ross. Mm. Uh, Reagan McStravick Regan. says, Regan, excuse me. I'm sorry, sorry. If I say Regan, it reminds me too much of one of the characters from King Lear. Yeah, uh, he, there's a story behind that. It's my cousin. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Your cousins, one of the daughters in King Lear. Wow. Yeah. Hoo-hoo. But not this one. Yeah. He has a beard. So, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think she. Yeah, she. The stage directions don't mention a beard, but anyway, in the <laughs> King Lear. But anyway, do you give stage uh, directions s- to a beard? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and no, grow. Bris- bristle, bristle more. Uh, bristle, bristle. I guess. <laughs> so many films or scenes are so much defined by the score. Darth Vader's Imperial March, Flight of the Valkyries, and Apocalypse Now, When Johnny Comes Marching Home and Dr. Strangelove, The Strauss Piece for 2001. Ooh, yeah, all good examples. Vangelis's, Vangelis's Piece for Chariots of Fire. Oh, God. Talk, I forget about that one, but that used to be so damn iconic. And Zimmer's entire score for Dunkirk and most everything else he did. Just a handful of scores that come to mind for someone who is pretty aware of what makes film scenes work or not work, but isn't particularly tuned into the music. Dan Schaefer says, I think the score influences or even dictates the emotional impact of a movie, or different scenes in a movie, but the best scores do it without being noticed. Mm. If you're noticing the score while you're watching the movie, it's not doing its job, or in fact, may be wrong for the scene or movie. That's a good point. Mm. Dave tells us, for for me, the soundtrack is very important, though I don't think of most soundtracks as real music. 
Interesting. The music should be subordinate to the movie, and generally that makes for lower quality music than music that has to keep people interested without the added benefit of motion pictures. That's an interesting point. I, I, my guess is what he's talking about is the listenability of a soundtrack on its own, detached mm. from a film. And there are some scores you can listen to that you can just listen to like it's a symphony or you know a bunch of movements of something. And there's other ones where it's like, the crabs, they're big, they're moving fast, or something <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. We are. And uh, from our, our international contingent, Vince, Ooh. music can really make a film. Think almost any John Williams classic score. It can be better than the film itself, like Jerry Goldsmith's movie in Damien Omen 2. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and in general, can really set the mood or push you into feeling a certain way. This works the other way, too. When the music is a bad fit or just bad, it can ruin an otherwise decent film. Now is a good time to remind Mike that the music in Star Crash, The Adventures of Stella Star, a film I tied him to a chair so that he could enjoy it better, won an Academy Award? Something from St- from The Adventures of Stella Star won an Oscar? Never mind, was nominated for one. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Ned, a.k.a. Cheese Boy, says, Oh, music is a huge part of it for sure. That's what I miss most about going to the theaters. Well, that and feeling the popcorn resin slowly gluing my feet to the theater floor. <laughs> I've never felt that music has made a, a movie worse, though. Can either of you think of, of times you heard music that actively detracted from your enjoyment of a movie and no music sun, sung by actors doesn't count? Well, thanks. That just, just blew out my answer. <laughs> Of course, Ned does this being being a musician himself, as he is a major flautist. He goes around flouting people. Um, can you say that on on the air? I wasn't. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. I think so. Uh, I, I, what movie were you thinking of when you just said, "Oh, Ned cut off my answer by no actor singing at um, Long Last Love"? I was thinking Miser- <laughs> Les Miserables. Oh, when I'm sorry, when um, Russell Crowe starts singing, and again, I somebody pointed this out once uh, in a review I read. It's not that Russell Crowe is a bad singer. It's that his style of singing is completely different from everyone else in the movie. And it just is very disruptive. He sings more like he's singing a rock song than a show tune. Mm. So what, what about you? What, what, what do the score of a movie mean to you? Well, the reason I brought up the question is it occurred to me, and I don't know why it just occurred to me, is that having a score at all is really weird. And the reason I say that is especially when you've got dramas or real-to-life things, the things that are closer to quote-unquote reality, there's still a score. Like, it's not mm. even a thought that you can't have a score. And while we go through life wandering into vis- different establishments with their background music's playing, it's rarely something that's reflecting our mood at the time. Um, you know, flash mobs notwithstanding. And I yeah, realize... Real like, life does not have background music. Not, not the way that movies do, and certainly mm. not tailored for our moments. Um, yeah. And I realize that the only reason we still have movie scores is because that's how movies started. They were silent, and they're like, well, we need to keep people more involved, and just watching and listening to <laughs> isn't really enough, so we'll have somebody play some music along. Also, to huh. be fair, I'm sure a lot of cases were, hey, we've got this popular song, why don't we play it during this movie? And then maybe people will buy the record. I'm sure that merchandising goes back that far. But in a way, it's kind of weird. Like, again, this is not how any other story format is told except movies and TV. And it's like, you have to have a soundtrack. You have to have a soundtrack. And I was like, if you step back, maybe two steps, it's like, wow, that's what a weird, why are we doing this? But of course... And, I, and a number of the people who pointed this out, are, I think, are right. When you've got a score that's subtle and adds to what we're seeing as opposed to just reflects it, it does heighten the immersion and it does round out the experience so that you probably are reacting in ways that you're not even conscious of just because of you know, uh, uh, bringing back a theme. Um, something that uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is a, um, either a master of or... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I, I think the term beating a dead bumpy is the uh, phrase you're looking for. <laughs> Poor bumpy. Or if not, it's the one I'm always looking for. Um, <laughs> How about you? 
Uh, I think the score is a pretty major part. I do, uh, I do agree the the point that several people made that a bad score is really tell basically reaches out of the screen, grabs you, and shakes you, and tells you, "Hey, feel this. You're sad. You're happy." Dun dun Got dun, it? dun 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 dun. Flash. Ah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I think because I think it, uh, music hits people on a very emotional level. I think it can more so sometimes than just vis- than image visual imagery. Uh, I think it's a very powerful and very effective tool. I don't think it's just done because that's the way it's always been done. There were a bu- there were a lot of old silent movies that didn't have the guy sitting in the front of the theater with a the piano. Well, and in general, they tended to though. And I think that that's in this country, if, well, not I think no, that, not in others. I I think you'll even find a lot of the European films. There was something played. There was music. Sometimes there was music written by the person who made the film specifically to be played during the thing. And it's because there was a literal lack of sound. You had nothing else except title cards. I just um, think they realized that later they realized that this was also uh, an additional emotional component that they could add to uh, the art form. And a great way to make extra money. <laughs> and a nice way to make, to sell the sell the soundtrack on Arista Records and Tapes. Yeah, which is not in any way to denigrate movie soundtracks. Some of them, I think like the first, the original Star Wars film, I had the soundtrack album when I was a kid. Totally listenable. And the thing is, because of the way it was written and done, I could picture everything that was, was happening. I knew where mm-hmm. that music took place. Very evocative. You, they, yeah. you just really associated the music with, with the scenes. Absolutely. But I think John Williams never reached a height better than do 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 Well, don't forget Baums. <laughs> I'm not dressing up as a native girl. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Boom. <laughs> it is true. Some of the original incidental music for Gilligan's Island was, in fact, yep. done by Johnny Williams. Johnny as, Williams with a Y. <laughs> as were both of the themes for Lost in Space. But yep. uh, thank you so much for those amazing yep. answers. Um, the one thing that bothers me is I'm worried that some of you people are so erudite and uh, well-spoken, you might want to have your own podcasts. Uh, well, don't, because let me tell you, no. the hell... Uh, who of being a hot podcast host? Who it, it's a nightmare. And yeah. besides, uh, it's full. Yeah, yeah. We're we're there. There, all the podcasts have been used up. Yeah. Sorry, it's going to be yeah. a while. But you yeah. have to wait for us to die. But uh, tempting fate, Max. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. have a question for next week, aren't we? Yes, we are. And this question, by the way, is the product entirely of me. I made it up, thought of it entirely myself. It was in no way really? uh, thought up initially by anyone who was, oh, I don't know, related to you or named Val. I certainly <laughs> did not get this from anyone any, at all like, okay, yeah, this this was from Val. But I thought it was cool. So it's kind of a callback to our what fictional character would you want to meet question. Uh, this is What unusual or fantastic movie setting and i don't mean an actual set i mean the play the environment in which a movie is set would you actually want to visit and hang out in you know would you want to hang out uh with the navi on pandora no you want to smoke a bowl with bilbo in the shire yes <laughs> tell us where would you like to hang out not never mind the characters but what place would you like to visit would you like to hang out and it's got to be fictional none of this i'd like to hang out in the library of alexandria from caesar from the movie cleopatra well, that is fictional, but I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Nothing from the movie JFK, for example. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to hang out in the back seat of the car and. and uh, yeah. No. And of course, how will they tell us these answers? Oh, we'll have Ooh. to break away now and come back later. That's right. We have to. That's our suspense that keeps you listening to the end. Hey, we're talking about so, a movie this week, aren't we? <laughs> oh, right, right, movie. Oh, trivia. The first trivia. Lots of trivia, or some trivia. Show. Charlie's Angels. The budget for this movie, $93 million. The mm-hmm. worldwide gross, $264 million. Okay. So pretty much guaranteed the sequel. Tee-hee. Now, I, I would like to say this about um, Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore often comes off as kind of ditzy or daffy. If you've ever seen her on a talk show. <laughs> Flash. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just, it's important to know she, Drew Barrymore, who's one of the producers of this movie, bought the rights to the TV show a ways back. And it is estimated that between this movie and the sequel, she personally made about $120 million. Good for her. So I wish I was a quarter as ditzy. <laughs> this, yeah, um, so y- don't, y- be, don't be fooled. This woman is sharp. Y- you are, Max. You are. Uh, oh, thank you. Wait a minute. 
I'm to- I'm twice as ditzy as she is, and you know it. Okay. Yeah. Just huh. once. I win. <laughs> uh, the sequence after Dylan tumbles pretty much naked down the hill, she lands at a house where two boys are playing a video game. That is the same house that was used in E.T. the Extraterrestrial in 1982, which was one of Barrymore's first movies. Hmm. There's even a bowl of Reese's Pieces on the table, and there's a movie poster for E.T. in the background. Aww. The role of the creepy thin man, played by Crispin Glover, to perfection, <laughs> because he is both creepy and thin, uh, was originally a speaking role. But Crispin Glover didn't like the lines, so he asked them to be removed. Huh. Uh, yeah, the director, McGee, and Drew Barrymore both agreed to make it a non-speaking role to make the character more mysterious. Mm, worked. Crispin himself came up with many of the character's eccentric traits, such as wow. ripping off women's hair, sniffing it, and then screaming. I'm not sure if those are the character traits <laughs> or... But anyway. Yeah. And, okay, we, we do have to address this. Uh, this movie has is a little notorious about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with one of the stars, particularly Bill Murray. Ah, yes, Bill Murray. Um, apparently, there was a very profane argument between Bill Murray and Lucy Liu that shut down filming for an entire day. Allegedly, Bill said... I get why you're here to Drew Barrymore, and you've got talent to Cameron Diaz, but to Lucy Liu, what in the hell are you doing here? You can't act. Wow. The remark is supposedly, basically, Liu took a swing at him. Good for her. And, yeah, quite honestly, he. I hope he didn't hit him too hard, because uh, she's, she's tough. I don't condone uh, violence, but... Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, in recent years, Murray claims... He said it was script problems, mm-hmm. the reason for the feud. He said, we began rehearsing, and I said, Lucy, how can you want to say these lines? These are so crazy. She got mad because she thought it was a personal assault, but the reality is she hated the lines as much as I did. I feel very warmly for her now. Uh-huh. Um, in a recent interview, I think with Cameron Diaz, she said, no, Bill Murray was a jerk on the set. Wow, Bill Murray being a jerk on the set. I've never yeah, heard no, that Trent- every time before. Try to, try to control your shock, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm Mc, done with Director McGee claimed that Bill Murray physically attacked him on the set. Murray has denied this flat out. So. Uh-huh. Uh, the, all three women trained with the, their ma- martial arts master eight hours a day, five days a week for three months. Oh, my God. Yikes. And, uh, by the way, the martial arts master... Uh, whose name I did not write down, <laughs> I had never heard of him, uh, has a cameo in the opening sequence on the plane. You'll see a man speaking to two attractive women trying to teach them to say thank you in uh, Cantonese. That's him. Oh. Uh, after Natalie wakes up from her ballroom dance dream and dances around the room in her underwear, which was vital to the plot, <laughs> she was asked to dance worse with each take. They wanted her to dance bad. They wanted to make it look like she danced badly. This was actually really hard because Cameron Diaz was an extensively trained ballroom dancer. I was going to say, I don't. Can she even do that? I mean, she can do a lot of things, but I'm not sure she can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard for someone who's really good at something to be bad at it intentionally. Mm. And it does. You can. T- she's. Yeah, you could. I remember thinking the first time I saw it, it's like, wow. She's really trying to look like she can dance well, and she's not quite getting there. <laughs> no. Now, you may ask your you may ask yourself, well, is this what is where does this this highway go, and is this my beautiful? Hi- Sorry, you may ask yourself, how exactly who th- who was the genius who came up with the idea of doing a romantic pairing of Drew Barrymore and Tom Green? I'm gonna guess it was Drew Barrymore. Yeah, because they were actually dating at the time. Oh! Yeah, yeah. Oh. Oh, boy. (sighs) Yes. I'm sure at one point he got down on one knee and asked her, Daddy, would you like some sausage? (sighs) The Chad. The Chad. We'll we'll, we'll get back to the Chad. Uh, It's not. (laughs) The bad guys in this movie use guns. The angels never do. And Drew Barrymore, who the producer Drew Barrymore, insisted the Angels be able to do all their fighting without firearms. 
This is different from the TV show, by the way. They did carry guns there. I'll say. The script was rewritten at least 30 times (laughs) until one was deemed acceptable by both the producers and the director, Mick G. That's a sign of quality. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The speaker sitting on Bosley's desk, through which the angels hear Charlie's assignments, is almost the same as the one used in the TV show. However, the speaker in the original had a small bell in the lower corner. The movie version did not. Entire film ruined. (laughs) My guess is that that must have been done before the breakup of the phone company. Yeah, Mm. obviously it was a Bell Bell Atlantic. There's an interesting bit of trivia. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, excuse me. No, no, about the phone breakup. Uh, Ah. Uh, Jacqueline Smith, Kate Jackson, and Farrah Fawcett, who, for our younger viewers, were the original Charlie's Angels. You know, do you remember when no one would have to say that? Anyway, uh, (laughs) they were all invited to make cameo appearances, but declined. Supposedly, Fawcett said she'd only do it if she was allowed to be the voice of Charlie. Okay. Jackson wanted to play Vivian Wood. Oh. That could have worked. I don't know why they didn't... Well, except, um, yeah, that could have worked. Uh... John Forsyth and Jacqueline Smith did appear in Charlie's Angels full throttle, although Smith's role is uncredited. John Forsyth is also the voice of Charlie in this movie, as he was, and I think that's actually the back of his head we see, just as we did in the TV show. Mm. I think the back of uh, Forsyth's head does, in fact, have an IMDb page. (laughs) It should. It should. I believe it has a direct link to the the, uh, Bruno Kirby (laughs) Memorial Fat Suits page. (laughs) Or Wrinkles the Cat, whatever the hell its name was yeah, way yeah. back when in previous episodes. <laughs> that, so a lot of the trivia is also who was who else was considered to be an angel. The disturbing one is well, not 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 that the, it was that she was chosen, but there's a rather disturbing story. Uh, Tandy Newton was offered a role, and you know she would have been amazing. Don't know her. Sure you do. For, uh, Trouble with Charlie. Uh, Oh, 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 oh yeah, yes, re- yes, I that do. Re- that remake? Yes, you do. You know, she's terrific. Uh, Westworld. In a 2020 interview, Tandy Newton revealed the reason she did she rejected the part was because she felt the role was too objectified, pointing, pointing that her character was going to be introduced with a close-up of her butt in tight denim. She also quit as a result of a meeting with Sony Pictures executive at the time, Amy Pascal, when Pascal told Newton... No one would buy a black woman as being college educated. Wow. Even though Newton studied at Cambridge University in England and tried to turn her character into a stereotypical black woman, and Newton said, yeah, bye. Well, good for her. Mm. When Natalie is in the Red Star mainframe, and boy, are we going to talk about that sequence. I'm in. She (laughs) she lifts up a computer board when she installs the antenna. Mike, did you rec- recognize the computer board? Because it's the power board, the motherboard for an Apple Power Mac G3. <laughs> you can actually, and I looked for this, and it's true. You can actually see the FireWire and USB ports and the Wave Design back panel. FireWire, yeah. it's the wave of the future. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did not know until I looked into this: there was a reboot of this TV show, of the Charlie's Angels TV show in 2011. Oh, it must have been. Good. They filmed. Eight episodes and only showed seven, so you know mm. it was good. Mm. Yeah. The sequel budget was $120 million and the worldwide gross was $260 million, so you know they upped the budget by 50% and didn't make any more money, which is why there wasn't a third, I assume. Mm. However, there was a reboot of the movie, the Charlie's Angels movie in 2019. There was? Uh Yes, there was, starring, of course, that star of action adventure, Kristen Stewart. Oh, dear gods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, was this a double feature with Rogue Warfare 3? <laughs> it should have been. That would have saved it, damn it. It wasn't a bomb, but it made less than twice the budget. So with marketing and such, it actually lost money and pretty much disappeared. Line? Line? Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, unless you got anything to add? No, we should get to the plot. Because this one's really plot-heavy and uh, convoluted uh, and uh, really... Uh, just, well, kind of. Take your two seconds. <laughs> Once upon a time, there were three marketably attractive little girls <laughs> who could have had just about any career they wanted, but decided to be a sort of investigators for a speakerphone. <laughs> based, 
Based on the hormone-raising TV series of the late 70s, this movie follows the adventures of three women who work for the mysterious Townsend Agency, an agency that does things? Are they private detectives, corporate investigators? Who cares? They wear a lot, lot of fashionable stuff and matrix foo their way through lots of bad guys and wear lots of disguises, some of which are troubling, but we'll get to that. The Angels, Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz, who have other names, but who cares, get their instructions from the never-seen Charlie, voiced by John Forsyth, and through his intermediary, Bosley, Bill Murray. They're hired to save a kidnapped tech smart guy from the clutches of evil, <laughs> then must break into a super high-security tech basement, we know it's high-security because they tell us, <laughs> to steal back some super magic tech that turns can turn cell phones into tracking devices. So apparently the villain is the cell phone industry? Because they already do that. <laughs> Along the way, they must vie with a creepy thin man, Crispin Glover, and Tim Curry as Tim Curry. <laughs> so obviously, he's the villain. He's Tim Curry, for crying out loud. Or is he? <gasps> I mean, he's obviously Tim Curry, right. but is he the villain? Anyway, uh, there are some plot twists and such. Owen Wilson, Mark, Matt LeBlanc, and Tom Green show uh, up for um, reasons. Pat. Whichever. <laughs> for reasons passing understanding, lots of punching and kicking happens. Things blow up and the day is saved. Let's drink. <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me I could have a drink. <laughs> yep, yep. You got to do a shot every time I say the word angel or we hear a song with the word angel in it. Yeah. And now, the talking. The lowdown. Uh, talk about the soundtrack being a character in this. They tried to use just about every song with the word angel in it. I was really disappointed they did not use Angel as a centerfold. That might have been a little too on the nose. It's Oh, that's uh, Jay Giles, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I didn't even think it, because I didn't watch the film before we posed that poll question. Um, one of my lines is, soundtrack is lazy but catchy. It is the laziest soundtrack to a film I can ever remember, because as you just pointed out, oh, there's a word on the screen. Find a song with that word in the top. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. It's, although some of the choices, Ugh. turning Japanese. Um, oh God! Yeah. Hey, well, let, yeah. Do you want to do you want to get to that now, or you want to cover that later? Let's just find it's a it's a catchy song. I like the song. You really shouldn't play it. <laughs> it yes, yeah, yeah. Especially in this situation. It all. It's a sequence where they've infiltrated a massage a house of massage, Madame Wong's house of something. I think it's Chinese, but whatever. As as is Lucy Liu. Right. And. Uh, yeah, but they're all wearing geisha outfits. Yeah. And ugh, that's one of the two really cringy disguise moments. The other is when they are in the Middle Eastern bar and they're mm. belly dancing. And True Barrymore, it, there's no other way to put it. She's wearing brown face. Yep. yep. She's made up to look Middle, in, in Middle Eastern, generic Middle Eastern, and it's... Or, or she sneezed in her cocoa powder. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not very good. No, Besides the fact isn't. that it's insulting. I mean, the only way I could see you explaining away this issue is to say it was done to make it look so funny that no one would believe that she was, and it's still, whatever. I, Except no. we're supposed to believe that these women are all hyper-competent. Well, and that's the thing that's weird. All right, so let's talk, let's talk about the three yeah. main actors if we can. Sure. Drew Barrymore, I think she does fine in this. She's yeah. not my favorite actor, but she's obviously having fun. All three of mm -hmm. them are. They and look that, like they're having a good time. They're, and it looks like they actually really enjoy being with each other, which apparently they did. They actually really bonded over the film. At least that's what I understand. Mm. Yeah. And that's really key to finding some enjoyment in this film. And she does fine. Cameron Diaz is a delight Oh, There's she's so, so, so she's just adorable in she this. Is it just, she has this great smile, and obviously, I'm not interested in the rest because being a <clears throat> gay man. Uh, what? I, oh, um, see episode one, well, 167 <laughs> episodes, and now you tell me. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm not interested in the rest of that, but her face lights up like almost nobody else's I know. I just think yeah. she's delightful. I don't care what she's doing. It's just like, oh, she's smiling. I'm so glad Cameron Diaz is happy. And and we know she's a good actor. I mean, yeah. remember being John Malkovich, she's terrific. Yeah. Um, and I have a big question, though, on the third member. Why isn't there more Lucy Liu in the world? 
I don't know. I don't know why she she has had so much trouble finding good, decent movie roles. Because, okay, as you say, this is something more for me than for you. She is so friggin' beautiful. And just, she has so much energy and life coming off her on the screen. I don't know what Bill Murray was talking about. She's, I don't uh, either. I, yeah, I, I think she's great. She's got so much presence, and she can do. She can be funny. She can be menacing. This is from other movies. I, but I, I don't know what happened. I don't either. She's she's the one I think I love the edge in her. And this is one point. She, no, no, no. And, <laughs> that, that's right. The guy guy is hitting on her at yeah. a party, and she it's perfect. And especially because she is a somewhat petite woman. She's well, not physically imposing, or she shouldn't be, but somehow she is. I just really, I've always liked Lucy Luton. Now, now she was on what show was it? Was she, she was Allie on? McBeal. That's where she. That was her breakout. And ever since then, like when I see her, it's like I really like Lucy Lou. Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. I understand she basically said, "You know what? I had fun. I'm going to go focus on family. I'm retiring." And I actually really respect that decision that's a really hard thing to do and i hope that it meant it means that cameron diaz is living a happy life because i don't know what why i should feel this need but there's a tiny part of me that needs to know that cameron diaz is happy (laughs) oh i don't know she's just delightful she seems so nice i don't know uh lucy lou though yeah i adore lucy lou especially in this she's just that attitude where she can just shut people down with a look or a word She's great. And there is, a lot of people will say, yeah, jiggle, jiggle. And I'm not going to say there isn't. But there's very distinct personalities between the three women. They are not all meant to just be candy. They're not interchangeable. Yeah. No. And I appreciate that they did try to do that. I don't think it's always successful. I think Lucy Liu's probably the most successful in standing out for her abilities and her competency. But I think that there is meant to be. The original show, I watched one episode of the original show, and... um, well, one was blonde, and one <laughs> and had two short dark hair, yeah. and the other one had long dark hair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure those are the character names. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the entire series growing up because <laughs> I didn't have access to porn. <laughs> uh, actually, you did. Huh? <laughs> I mean, it's softcore, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, we'll talk about this when we compare the TV show to the uh, the movie. But Right. The way they play the characters is very different. The way the energy of the movie is very different than the TV show. Yep. This is much more action-y. Yeah, much more. Oh, it's like the 70s, like no one ever got shot. Or if they did, they happened at like uh, 45 minutes into the show, one person gets shot because... Yes, usually in the arm, no blood. Yeah. Or and you, they, get the, and basic, you get the little Kirk wipe in the corner of your mouth. <laughs> right, or the tiny red, red circle, usually a perfect circle on the sleeve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then in the next scene, they're, maybe they've got their arm in a sling. They're not suffering from shock. Sorry, that's a that's a pet peeve in the movie. People get shot and get up so easily in the movies. Never mind the bulletproof vest. You get shot. That's a big friggin' deal. Yeah, I'm going to guess so. I've never, you know, been shot. I don't know that that won't happen really soon because Max is giving <laughs> me that look. But <laughs> uh, hold still. <laughs> um, then we have... Uh, we have uh, Christian Glover, and I, I'm glad you told me that story, because my note for Crispin Glover was, Crispin Glover, wait, does he have an actual line? Yes, it's, hey. um, He is, I think, really well cast in this movie. I think he's, I mean, I'm sorry, when they said creepy thin man, I, I figured, oh, you mean Crispin Glover, and you just couldn't remember his name? <laughs> like, I, I think that's what it was in the script. It had to be, it was, it, it was like it was written for him, although I had no idea that he could be as action-y as he is. Or unwritten for him, right? I think that was actually a really wise yeah. decision. And, you know, that's pretty gutsy for an actor to say, no, no, take all my lines out. <laughs> um, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah. Uh, and the, talking to the others, I mean, Sam Rockwell. Does he ever not play sleazebags? Probably not. He actually felt to me like just left of Dana Carvey in this movie for some reason. He kind of looked <laughs> really? Dana Carvey-ish. Oh, I, didn't, I think he does it really well. He's just yeah. He's really good at playing punchable characters, characters you just really want to shove in front of a truck. I mean, honestly, I'd like to take him and the Chad and put them in a small box and just <laughs> seal that, it up. That would be a really mean thing to do to even the bad guy. Now, when I put first anyone saw in a this, box with Tom Green, well, anybody with anybody with Tom Green. Um, yeah. 
I when I saw this, I didn't know who Tom Green was. I had not seen Freddy Got Fingered. See, no, no, don't see our previous episode on Freddy Got Fingered. Just don't. <laughs> oh, see it or see the film. Um, and yeah, so I didn't have any can. of the baggage that is Tom Green. Um, yeah. I just thought he was very odd, and I couldn't. I could sort of see why the character might have liked him because he was so weird and, quite honestly. Um, really malleable she could get him to do whatever he, she wanted i think yeah. she just used him as like a flop you know like oh i need somewhere to stay oh the chad has some has a boat i'll stay there yeah. <laughs> but yeah tom green is tom green whatever um tim curry is kind of delightfully tim curry because he oh, shows he up and you so think tim he, curry yeah he's like oh he's gonna be the villain we think he's the villain and then he gets into what isn't but could be the Bruno Kirby Memorial Fat Suit. <laughs> that is the weirdest sequel. Well, sorry, one of, because it says there's a number of This is the... He's having... Again, I'm sure this is culturally insensitive, but it's just so... What? He's having a party in his recreated Shinto shrine, and he challenges Bill Murray, who's undercover as... Bosley. A motivational speaker. Yeah, whatever. To a sumo suit wrestling match. <laughs> this was a thing. Yeah. I remember this in like what the 2000s, the late 90s. Guys would dress up in these enormous, what were they, vinyl? I don't know. They're, they're uh, padded, stuffed. Yeah. Full, yeah. With, that made them look like sumo wrestlers, complete with fake nipples and yeah. big plastic. Uh, there's a name for the type of, of haircut they have at the top now. The I don't wig. know what it is. And they would. Bump into each other. Yeah. And I it, don't. <laughs> I actually thought it looked like fun. <laughs> it actually kind of does, and it is hilarious, even though it doesn't seem to really belong in there. <laughs> but Tim Curry is having so much fun. <laughs> like, I'm not even sure the end part where he just sort of goes, aha, and then throws himself <laughs> on top of Bill Murray, who he's knocked down, was in the script, but it looks and like... And starts drumming on him <laughs> like he's a Kodo drum, and it's... And I love the way they the setup. You know, they're talking to each other and they're doing the classic kind of alpha male. Ah, we're the adversary, and he says to him, uh, "I challenge you to a test of intuition and judgment." <laughs> and it's this sumo thing. Although I discovered there is a deleted scene that was supposed to take place between the two of those, where the uh, test is not fake sumo suits; it's a game of Marco Polo. Oh. That's why their hair's wet. Uh, I like the sumo thing better. <laughs> yes, I can, it's actually a good idea that they cut it. It's so strange. Yeah. And he is just, I mean, it, he has no facial hair. Well, he does. He has a beard. But he. I keep waiting. He should have been twirling his mustache. Yeah, yeah. He, it, that was actually a really good fake out in it the was. movie. It's, <gasps> it's like, oh, he's the bad guy. What? Oh, we sorry. gave it away. Spoiler. A 21-year-old movie. No. Yeah. I actually had yeah. forgotten, and then it was like, as soon as I saw Sam Rockwell, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I think he's the, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's a good fake out. The villain is not who you thought. I, when I first saw it, I it caught me by surprise. I didn't expect the villain to be Sam Rockwell. Well, quite honestly, you don't expect any kind of real thought in a plot to a Charlie's Angels show. So. Yeah, this movie is not, it's not based on, it's not plot heavy. It's mostly, yeah. you know, looking at the women and watching them kick the crap out of people in... Just crazy Matrix-inspired, leaping wire-foo martial arts. Yeah. My note was, a little Matrix, a little Mission Impossible. And I mean the <laughs> old show, not the new movie. So, you know, they are in prime form. Uh, if you told me that they did most of their own stunts, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, all of them gave me the impression did. that they really could kick the crap out of somebody. Um and actually, quite honestly, they call him the tall, thin man. Crispin doesn't look that thin. He actually looks like he's, like he looks bigger than he did in Back to the Future. Mm. Um, he was not like, you know, whisper thin to me. He looked like he was, and of course, he was so creepy that he felt like a threat. Yeah. Um, he, had, he played up the whole sort of insectoid thing, the way he moved, the way he held himself. Yeah. So the, it, the one villain I wasn't too impressed with was Vivian Wood, you know, played by Kelly Lynch. She was She's there. just sort of like, yeah, she was, you know, there. But and by the way, we we know I know her from, of course, that cinematic Titan Roadhouse. Oh, and where saw she it. played the Doc. Oh, I thought you were going to say she name. played the Roadhouse. <laughs> no, she did not. I, and I got to say, the sequence where she is trying to seduce Bosley is 
really uncomfortable because there's nothing there. I mean, I've, that's part of the idea is there's no chemistry. But I'm just looking at Bill Murray and Kelly Lynch basically going, ew, no, come on, no. Yeah, and you brought this up in the trivia, but let's talk about Bill Murray. I think I'm, I'm kind of done to. with Bill Murray, because that's all oh, I hear. Mm. Like, he, the Ghostbusters said, apparently he was horrible. And these are two, like Harold Ramis, who's, you know, supposedly a friend of his. They didn't end up talking for years after Ghostbusters. Um, And to be fair, I don't know that he's the same way now as he was then, but apparently Bill Murray is just a terror to work with. He's just does these things. And it's like, you know, he's a real perfectionist. He really, he holds things to a very high standard and he has a really bad temper. Yeah, that, and, and so I hear. This yeah, is he, he also will just stop showing up on time. His pro, like, there's one point where he decided he didn't want to talk to the director, so he hired somebody that uh, he would only speak to through an interpreter. I forget what language they spoke. I mean, he just, I don't, who needs this oh, crap? I, I remember that. No, he got an interpreter who was deaf. Oh, that's right. And he didn't know sign language. He said he'd learn it. Yeah, and uh, who needs this crap? And quite honestly, Especially in this role, is he worth it? No. Bill Murray honestly really doesn't bring anything to this movie. I'm not going to say he doesn't bring anything to other movies, but to yeah. this role, and to be fair, he, maybe part of that's the part, I don't think he really brings anything. I, I don't think he was necessary. I mean, Bill Murray, I, I don't, I'm not quite as done with him as you are, uh, can, do, can be remarkable, and he can put in brilliant performances... The problem is this part didn't require that. No. It required... I'm not a big fan. In the sequel, they replaced him with Bernie Mac, which I wasn't too... Because he went... He leaned full into the comedy part of it. And I kind of liked Murray trying to be partly serious, but he kind of gives up on that about halfway through. Yeah. And the whole sequence in his cell, where he's been captured and locked up... And they just show these little vignettes, these little clips. It's like, this is from another movie where he's doing a great escape thing where he's you know bouncing a baseball off a wall and gets hit in the face with it. And yeah. The weirdest part is when he is somehow chewing a bar of soap into the shape of the, an enormous handgun. They must have given him the biggest bar of soap in the world to the Miami Vice soundtrack. Yeah. I don't get that at all. And he's talking to the little bird... It it didn't fit. I, I I don't think he was a fit for this movie. I don't know if it was just he didn't get along with it, but he really get the feeling he didn't want to be there. He felt like oh those sent those particular sequences felt like um, Robin Williams outtakes from doing the genie. And it's like you know there's so much good stuff we just cut it together and put it in there, and it's like mm. eh, eh. and it, see this again. This is why I'm like eh, we could have had somebody anybody else in that part. And it would have been fine. To be fair, the Bosley part, having just watched one of the TV shows, is pretty thankless. And I'm just coming yeah. away from it thinking, how is David Doyle not gay? I don't understand <laughs> how he isn't. He isn't and wasn't. Okay. But the Bosley part, he really is like, oh, uh, <laughs> bumbling annoys Holmes no end. He's kind of <laughs> bumbly. He is kind of bumbling. And he doesn't start out initially. That's not impl- That doesn't seem to be there. But he becomes more and more bumbling as it goes along. I watched season one, episode five, and he's kind of bumbly. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, I'm trying to say about the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah no. But whatever. The the part was never that interesting anyway. Um, so the cast is, is you know, take uh, Bill Murray and Tom Green if you want, throw them in a box. And I bet him pretty much enjoyed everyone else. Uh, really? I'd like Even to get Matt to this- LeBlanc? Matt LeBlanc, you know, he's playing a big, dumb lug who is in action films. He's kind of (laughs) perfect. Especially in the second one where he goes, Maximum Extreme 3, and he does it with his fingers. It's like, that's, you know, I I don't know. I never watched Friends. He was in Friends, right? Yeah, he was. Um, And I saw him in the Lost in Space movie, and it's like, he's kind of a... I don't know. He's a big, lovable lug. He doesn't yeah, seem. All, I of. mean, his characters don't seem that bright. He's a big guy. He's not handsome, but he's sort of good-looking in a everyman kind of way. So I, Matt LeBlanc's fine. I have no problems with Matt LeBlanc. 
And I, I like especially that he's the contrast that Drew Barrymore is basically spending the entire movie going, um, I can't tell him that I can really beat the crap out of him. Or no, not him. It's Lucy Liu. No. Yeah. Yeah, Lucy, Lucy Liu. Liu is saying she can't be she can't tell uh I can't tell, tell Matt LeBlanc that yeah. I could lift him over my head and yeah, squash and his privates with my nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and actually, they're, I, I think they make a cute couple. And he comes, oh, what happened to my trailer? <laughs> I like that. What happened to my trailer? Were, were you inside there? Like, his first worry is the trailer. But he's also just so, cl- I don't know, charmingly clueless. Is uh, yeah. you know, Or, or as uh, Julie Brown once said, big it. and stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to get to something because we're going to run out of time before we get yeah. to our questions. Let's talk about Jiggle TV, or at least Jiggle movies. Okay. So, Drew Barrymore was a producer on this film, and I think it's fair to say she's probably the main power behind getting this film made. Very likely, yeah. She owned the rights. So, to you, and I don't know if we actually have the right to to answer this, but to you, was this a chauvinistic film? Did it do anything for women, or did it do anything against women? Or how do we look at this, or how did you look at this? It's a weird mix. When I first saw it, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have a lot of movies like this. We didn't have a lot of movies with kick-ass female protagonists. Right. And at the time, it was, it was I thought it was it was very cool. I thought, wow, this is neat. The, the women are the ones who do all the rescuing. They're the ones who do, do all the heavy lifting. The, there are men in there, but they're mostly just going, what? <laughs> or they're bad guys. Looking at it now, eh, I, I think there's kind of a mix. I mean... I think in some ways they're kind of laugh. They're, they're poking fun at it. I mean, at one point, Drew Barrymore is literally naked in the movie, but it's played for laughs. Yeah. Although there's a sequence where they land on the bad guy's coast in wetsuits, and they're peeling them off, and they're very clearly naked, or their body doubles are very clearly naked under them. I'm going, okay, that was that necessary? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I honestly am not sure. What, what did you think? So, interestingly, it reminded me of Lieutenant Uhura from the original Star Trek show. And the way we look at it now, we go, why did the women have to wear those miniskirts? Apparently, at the time, Nichelle Nichols was quoted as saying, I was so glad I had the power to display my body the way I wanted to. And Mm. I felt really empowered by wearing that. I, of course, was like... I, I like really that just blew my mind. It never would have occurred to me that that was yeah. even a thing. Huh. In this case, if the movie, and I don't know, we don't know well enough, Mick G, whatever, because <laughs> um, that was catchy, uh, <clears throat> is the director. I don't know how much literal power Drew Barrymore or the other actors had in this. So I can't say. I always feel uncomfortable when it's like, Oh, look at these, you know, and it's like, okay, I get it. Or like you said, the wetsuits coming down. Did we really need this vital to the plot, quote unquote? And I always assume that those things are just done for, I can't think of a better word, titillation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But what if it isn't? Like, what if it's the women going, we get to do whatever we want, and this is what we want? I, I think I honestly am not qualified to answer the question. I think it still feeds to that you know, adolescent and many, many men that they, that's why they went to see the film is to see this and Cameron Diaz dancing in her underwear really does nothing for the plot. Although she's having such fun. (laughs) Yep. She does look like she's having a good time. I, I I don't know. Some of it, they say it's empowering. Maybe it's empowering the the idea that they can dress as they want and look how they want. And I think there's some aspect of it, where they point out they're using the, their femininity as part of their power. It's yeah. a distraction to, right. to the men. And, of course, it's they, the men's they, problem for how they react, not the women's yeah. for how they present themselves. Yeah. I just, I can't tell. Yeah. And I, I, I actually like it when they're, like, we talked about Emily Blunt in um, Live, Die, Repeat, whatever that thing was. I uh, <laughs> see our previous Ridge episode repeat. on that yeah. film whose name I can't remember. Uh, oh, the Edge right. of Tomorrow. The Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> Yep. She never once, there was nothing sexualized about her character at all. She was just competent and nobody ever said, for a woman? No, it was, yeah. she just did her thing. I really prefer it when they do that, but that's my wants. That's my imposing my wishes on a film. So 
I don't know. But I thought it was something we should bring up. Yeah. So Yeah, it's it, it it's an interesting thing. I'd like to be interested to hear what our reader what our listeners think. Yeah. And one of the things that occurred to me that's possible, but also could just be an excuse, is they were so overblown in the type of action, like their their fighting is beyond wire foo and and obviously was echoing the matrix because everything was after nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. But they're also doing it in high heels or, you know, the hip high boots or whatever. Yep, I couldn't yep. help but wonder if that are they partially satirizing the ridiculousness of men's action movies? Maybe. And Maybe. they also I think sat they might have been making fun of how much we focus on what on what the women wear in these movies. There's a sequence where they're chasing Crispin Glover and they do a full costume change in the time it takes them to run down about four flights of stairs. Yeah. And and he st- and still catch up with him. Yeah. So I, I think that I think some of this may be like taking a few subtle jabs. I'm not sure. Yeah. And there's also the point that I like seeing Cameron Diaz dance around in her underwear. <laughs> um, let's get to our questions because we're uh, yeah. running out of time here. So does yeah. this movie yeah. capture the feeling of its source material? Uh, a little. Yeah. In that it's the same idea, but it's ve- it done very differently. I mean, I, I gotta say, it still doesn't answer the same question that the TV show didn't answer. Why do we? Can they never meet Charlie? Um, Why is he always in? You know, they can't. They, they aren't even allowed to know what he looks like. Mm. Why? Who are they protecting? Charlie. But from what? They, he apparently trusts them with his life, and he trusts them with his business, and apparently Bosley knows him. Well, now, here's, this is an interesting thing. I watched one episode of the original show in preparation for this, and there were two major plot points that actually show up in this film. Yeah. And I picked one at random. It was the first one when I typed in Charlie's Angels TV show on YouTube. Is the first one that popped up. And it was involving the fact that one of the angels, this time I think it was, it was Jacqueline Smith, whichever one she was, yeah. um, was actually in love with Tom Selleck without a mustache. That was weird. Ooh. And she couldn't tell him. She had to break up with him because she couldn't tell him what she did for a living. So this is the same thing uh. with Lucy Liu and Matt LeBlanc. The other was, in that one, there was somebody out specifically to try and lure Charlie out because they had a vendetta against him, just like oh, uh, Sam okay. Rockwell does. I, I honestly think they just did it as sort of a, it's not even a MacGuffin, but just sort of a little. Yeah. Oh, it's a gimmick, really. Yeah, a gimmick. I always I figured say, it would make it easier to replace Charlie. Yeah. Of course, John Forsyth then didn't have a big role until, uh, um, not Not's Landing, the other one, the big Dynasty. one. Dynasty showed up, and they're like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I watched that episode, and my feeling is the original so- show is uh, a lot more, um, what's the word? Beige. It's very much more beige. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> this, this, show, this movie, very colorful, yeah. very loud visually. And splody. Um, very splody, very Michael Bayish. So it doesn't capture it; it definitely magnifies it. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think it takes it as a jumping-off point. Yeah. Does this movie respect its source material? Does anyone? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. what's what's to respect? But I think so. I mean, it keeps the same idea, the same yeah. tone. That they even they do it more in the sequel. But they talk about uh, how the team changes, and there are different angels, and there have been angels before, and there'll be angels later. Yeah. And no one ever meets Charlie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, of course, that so, one has Sleepy yeah. LaBeef in it. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it certainly takes the admittedly fairly loose framework of the original show and makes it into the loose framework of this film. So I guess it does. I don't think, it tr- I don't think it's actually p- trying to parody or make fun of the original show. I think it's trying to look at it in a different way. But it's not denigrating the original show i think that's right uh, it's it's a reinterpretation it's less beige uh does this movie take advantage of the fact that it's a movie and not just an episode oh yes oh boy does it oh my god big scale large explosions vehicle chases car chases which i have in my notes how many people die during those car chases my god how many people are do they kill running them off the road and and also and mcgee and how the, how the hell did the thin man survive driving his car off a bridge? I'm McG. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why, no, no. Uh, yeah, it does. It's big, explodey. Uh, it did really well. 
Um, I remember enjoying it. I remember yes. surprisingly, we'll get to this at the end, but it's like, yeah, this is a big, splody, long, you couldn't do this on a, one episode of a TV show movie. So, yes. Um, before we get to the uh, the final roundup, Max, do you have any uh, further notes you want to get in there? Any digs? Any uh, McG you'd like to let fly? <laughs> yeah, the whole breaking into the vault thing is just <laughs> dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. It doesn't make any sense. Even in 2000, it just doesn't. It's like, oh, really? A contact lens will fool a retina scanner. A, no, it won't. And B, no, it won't. And B, why was why did it? One of them used a fingerprint, and the other person used a retinal scan. Why wouldn't you check both on both people? Uh, expensive. And why, if Natalie is supposed to be invisible in the white room and she's wearing a white suit? In the second part, she's not wearing the hood, and her eyes are uncovered the whole time. Um, and why would you have a system where you aren't allowed to stand on the floor for more than 2.5 seconds, or whatever it was? How do you do maintenance? You dance. I guess that's it. <laughs> so dumb. So, it just, that really annoyed me. Although, I do have to say, I really like the part that goes in tandem with that, with the uh, Lucy Liu's character as the dominatrix efficiency expert <laughs> because yeah. I'm sorry I've been in IT departments and that's exactly how they would have reacted <laughs> you know, sorry just, folks it's true <laughs> I was just thinking back to one of our previous episodes Magnolia and I would actually <laughs> love to see Lucy's Lucy Liu's uh, person that character character, the the motivational speaker get into a room with tom cruises and i still would bet on lucy lou oh man i don't think the building would be left standing (laughs) that that was it you you have anything else no no uh i think we should get to the that roundup part the roundup hey we're at that roundup part max yeah i know you saw this when it came out I did, I did. I saw it the week it came out. I'm willing to bet you've actually seen it since then. I've seen it a number of times. I've <laughs> always you? enjoyed it. Have, uh, did yeah. you? Ah, what did you? <laughs> the uh, acting and the uh, deep... No. Yeah, what, yeah what, it had nothing to do with Drew Barrymore hanging naked from a house. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think or, this time? I gotta say, it doesn't quite hold up as well as I remember. I still enjoy it, but... There, there are some cringy elements to it, and it's also hard now that you know some of the backstory. It's hard to watch Bill Murray in this when you, yeah. you, you know he like practically made, made uh, Lucy Liu attack him. Which I now that I, w- I wish they had shown that in the bloopers <laughs> at the end. I would have paid extra to see that. Yeah, uh, I still I think it's fun. It's still a good splody movie. Just there, are, there are a bunch of. What the hell moments in it? The yeah. whole yodeling number. The <laughs> well, and it was playing itself more for humor than the show ever yeah. did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is funnier. I got to say, it's much better than the show ever was. Yeah. It's funnier. It's there's it. The pacing is better. The acting is better. That's not saying much. Mm. Yeah. What about you? Did you see when it came out? I did. Um, I didn't think I would actually enjoy it. Um, and I did. I actually really did enjoy it. And I was like, hey, do a sequel. This is fun. I really liked, again, Cameron Diaz. I loved, she's just so, she's so nice. I just like her. Uh, Lucy Liu, I think she's great. Drew Barrymore is not my favorite, but that's fine. I have more power to her. She seems to have gotten some stuff done. She could have ended up, I know that she had some troubles at one point, but she seems to have pulled herself out. And being a child actor in Hollywood, let's see, how many times has that turned out well? Oh, Um, boy. The other one's Kurt Russell. Oh, um, and Ron Howard. And Ron Howard. That's 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 it. Um, well, and Clint Howard. Well, although Clint had some troubles. I, yeah. Um, Eagle Bauer. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was fun. And again, I don't know why there's not more Lucy Liu in the world. I just don't. She's wonderful. I like Lucy Liu a lot. I could do without Bill Murray. And I don't mind that they changed to Bernie Mac. I had very little exposure to Bernie Mac. I know he was... Re- I really liked him in... Um, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. I was really sorry that we lost him so early. Um, I saw this again, and the two things that stood out is, one, like you said, I didn't enjoy it quite as much. Part of me is like, should I enjoy this? I don't know. Because it's, is it exploiting women? I don't, I can't tell. And the problem is, is that I feel like even though I'm not qualified to make the judgment, I should still know. 
Like I should still be aware if that's the thing. And if it's a thing, then I shouldn't partake in it. But the other thing I noticed is that there's actually this sort of level of cheapness that I didn't remember being in the movie is like, there's certain parts uh-huh. of it that just feel very sound stagey. Um, huh. And I was like, huh, I didn't, re- I remember it being a lot more, it felt bigger than it did. It felt a little bit smaller than it did. Um, Interesting. I didn't, didn't notice that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's just my opinion. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but part, it's fluff. It's, there's still parts that are really fun. I like the people playing the angels. I think that I, I think they're having fun. There's some outtakes at the end, which are fun to watch. Cause that's another point that makes you think that they're enjoying themselves and that they like each other. Um, and I'm all for positivity because we have so much negativity in other films and in you know, mm. the news and stuff. So that part's nice. If there was, if a woman or a group of women came to me and said, yeah, you really shouldn't be enjoying that film, I'd go ahead and say, cool, you guys know better than I would. You would understand it better than I would. Until then, yes, I did enjoy it. I don't think it's great. But and Mick G, I'm th- I'm glad that he kind of went Mick away, because um, <laughs> he did like this and the, and the sequel, and then he, he does make, a lot of TV movies and stuff. Um, he dropped the Mick eggs all over the Mick floor. <laughs> yeah, I Mick love you. Um, <laughs> so it's fine if you saw it back in the day and you haven't seen it since. I don't know if it'll hold up quite as well if you haven't seen it yet. It's fine. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Women kick ass as they should every once in a while. They don't need to do it in bathing suits or underwear, but whatever. Um, I actually do love the fact when she she she's dancing and she answers the door in the underwear, and that poor UPS guy is just like, "No, ma'am," <laughs> like literally has no idea what to do, and she's yep. totally in control of the situation. She just does not care. Yep. So good, but and he's uh, trying not to trip over his own tongue. Yep. Yeah. But we had a great reaction to this week's poll question. Thank you again. But Max, Thank you we have so another much. poll question yeah. that they can react to. What what question we do. is that? I already told them. If they don't remember, I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> what uh, fa- what fantasy, science fiction, unusual or movie setting would you want to visit and hang out in? You want to hang out uh, in the wretched hive of scum and villainy <laughs> on Tatooine? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, know. don't just say Star Wars. Pick a planet, would you? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be on planet Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, pick some place. Be as specific as you can. I mean, you don't have to pick a street in the Shire, but whatever. <laughs> and, of course, you can uh, answer this question. Either you can go to our site, maxmikemovies.com, and leave a comment. Extra bumpy bucks if you do so. Or if you the super triple fudgy coated bumpy bucks, mm. if you email us at mm. us at maxmikemovies.com. That's a hint. You can also answer, answer us on uh, the social mediatings of Facebook or Twitter. Well, I should just say Facebook, as almost none of you follow us on Twitter. Six. Uh, yeah, yeah, six. Nine times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you can always listen to us on the podcast app of your choice. Yes. But, Mike, next week there will be another movie that we will talk about. Good night, everybody. (laughs) uh, What will this movie be? It was so hard to pick a movie. You might even say it was nigh impossible. No, I don't think I'd say that. That will be our mission. Nobody talks like that. That will be our mission next week to face the Get Smart. We're going to do Get Smart. Oh, okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah, Yeah, you know that part about being made to feel stupid by our listeners? There's a lot to say about that. Uh, Huh, I thought so. Hey! (laughs) Remember, twice as ditzy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, next week, we will be facing an impossible mission by watching Mission Impossible again, a film that is yet again based on a made-for-TV-love-you 60s TV show. Uh, Join us then, and you too will be able to hang from the ceiling and not touch the floor, and whatever you do, don't sweat. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.